Welcome to Making Sense Out of Autism. I'm Pam Kutu. And I'm Pat Miller. And we are the co-founders of Beloved Bath, a candle and bath product company with a mission of meaningful employment for people with autism. And as autism moms, we work with sense every day and we try to make sense out of autism. So welcome. So as we were talking about different um different things that really are important to us, we have been talking about developing a program for your child or your adult or um, the person that's important to you, even in the face of not necessarily doing what the experts say to do, even when you value those experts. And uh, it can be a tricky uh, situation and sometimes a slippery slope, but Pat and I have had to navigate this over the years, and um, we just thought it was kind of interesting because when you have a child with autism, the stakes are a lot higher than they are with your typical child. Yeah, and you also feel like you're at a loss, right? So you don't know as much as they do. They have experience in this world that you are trying to muddle through and navigate through, and so you know, it becomes very tricky because in the one sense you're at their mercy, right? Because you expect them to know your child better than you do. Right. And you're grateful and you're grateful because there are so, there aren't, there are not a ton of people who are experts and everyone's trying to get into the right school or trying to get that very special therapist to come their way and accept them. So it's more, it's harder to advocate. And I guess the lack of choices in the autism world uh, sort of make everything a little bit more intense. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. It's like walking a tightrope and you don't want to offend or lose a program or a therapist. But as a parent, you also have your own ideas and your own gut and your own instinct. And you're with this child 24-7. And your intuition that tells you that's right or that's wrong. And when we talk about experts, I want to define that a little bit. It's across the board. So there are the medical experts, right? The doctors, the neurologists, developmental pediatricians, you know, the PCPs as they get older, those people that you bring for medical advice. But then there are those experts that come in with a therapy. So you got your speech therapist, your occupational therapist, your ABA therapist, mm-hmm. your BCBAs. So you have a lot of different experts that come in and work with your child and adults. And so they all become part of that relationship. And, you know, you look to them for advice, for choices, for next steps, for goals. And a lot of times, a lot of the therapists are really young yeah. and they could be fresh out of school in their early twenties and they may have a lot of experience in the work that they're doing or in the book sense, what they've right. learned, right. But not, that degree. not necessarily the field experience or the perspective of, uh, you know, being a parent. Right. And that's the important piece because some of them may have had many years of experience, but I think until you become a parent, you know, parent of a typical child, a special needs child, any parent, there is a deeper understanding. And I know that I've seen that in our life some of our therapists who have come in and sort of were fresh out of school who were very good 
became better once they became a parent because there's a deeper understanding about that connection and how difficult it is to say no or how difficult it is to follow through with something that you're not really comfortable in doing because it feels like like non-nurturing but also needs to have that kind of structure and so there's there's that piece as well when Justin was four, he got accepted into a program and it was a great program. It was a public school program, but it was, uh, he was accepted. It was out of our district. It was really a big deal to be invited into this program. And um, Justin <laughs> spit on someone when he walked through the halls, just, you know, I don't know. <laughs> what happened, but he did it. And he did it a couple of times. And obviously when you're in a school and it's a, you know, mixed population, you, you can't spit on somebody. So the uh, person in charge wanted Justin to wear a helmet with a shield over his mouth. And it's, and how old was Justin? He was four. He was four. It was okay. four. So he's and, not a baby, right? Just want to keep that in mind. Yeah. He's four years old. And in my mind, I'm like, that is so stigmatizing. How would it feel to wear a helmet? It's so hot. He might feel embarrassed. It's so terrible. But I I felt like I couldn't say anything and I couldn't say no. Um, luckily for me, the behavior of spitting was short-lived and the professional sort of was developing a whole plan and program around something that just faded out. And thankfully it did, but I always look at that as my example of, I really didn't feel like my I could use my voice and use my intuition and speak up because the risks were so high. But then on the other hand, what kind of advocate am I if I'm not speaking up? And how is he going to get the best that there is or what's appropriate for him if I'm too afraid to... Um, to say anything because of the risk. So that that example really stayed with me. And when I have situations where I feel like my opinion differs from the experts, I think about that. And, you know, if he'd spit one more time, he might've been walking around with a helmet for God knows how long and how awful would that be? And then how awful for me not saying anything. So- and it's just another reason as an autism mom to beat yourself up. Dodge the bullet there, but very easily could have had that. Yeah. And then what, and then also what the hell wearing a helmet, what would that have done? What other behaviors could have come from that? I mean, imagine sure a helmet. Right? Yeah. So, it was crazy, yeah. but he did not wear it, thankfully, just to be clear. Right. But that, but by stroke of luck and, uh, you know, timing, he didn't. Right. Right. And I think, you know, beyond that too, or when our children or young adults are trying to tell us something and they don't have the language. And so, you know, for me, my experiences have been about um, not seeing the potential in John because of the way he sort of presents. And, you know, I think that that's a real important one because he can't tell us, I want to do this, or I don't want to do this, or I'm really good at swimming. And I'm so really you're meaning that the, the yes. experts aren't knowing all, all that, all he, can that do. he can do. Mm -hmm. And then they are setting goals that are less than what I want those to be. You know what I mean? And so it's yeah, a good point. Yeah. yeah. So, so it's really, really a, a fine line because, you know, there'll be things like, 
you know, I want John to, and I know I've used this example before, you know, have his first communion. And I was told, no, he can't do that. You know, or I want John to learn how to swim when he is grabbing my neck, terrified of the water. You know, those are just two specific examples where both times people who I trusted and had relationships with us told me he cannot. Okay. And And it's interesting because I think the therapist, and I think especially in ABA, which is science-based, you're looking at what you can observe and they're taking what they can see, but they're not taking what's inside of the person. And then when you think about that, there's so much inside of every human being. Why are we expecting that people with autism don't have that inner life and those inner desires, right? just like people who are quote unquote, typically developing? No, absolutely. And so I think that you know, those are all things to think about. And just last week, Pam and I did a, a seminar and it was about, you know, um, people who work with individuals with autism across the board and, and creating a culture of gentleness, it was called. And- yeah, when I heard the name of that, I have to say, I mean, Pat's more game for trying new things. I thought, oh my God, that sounds like, you know, yeah. torture, like right. crazy. But the most interesting piece that I took away from is that, you know, there has to be a level of trust and relationship building, okay, with whomever your child is dealing with and to really tap into that potential and get the best that you can from John, from Justin, from your child, you have to have that trust. And, you know, the first two parts of that trust are building an environment of part of these pillars are love, creating a loving and safe atmosphere, okay? And so when you think about it, an expert it's not going to build that in one or two visits. Right. You know what I mean? Right. We have that. Exactly. They don't have that. And so what we have the benefit of having is that sort of culture of trust. You know, my son knows when I'm with mom, I'm safe. You know what I mean? You know, when I'm, I'm with mom, me. I'm loved. Okay. And like, he's going to show me a greater potential than he is to someone who he doesn't feel that way. And for someone who doesn't have language, how do we know that? You know, we see that in the nonverbals and the smiles and, you know, what they're doing, what they're not doing when they're with that person. And that is the key piece I want to impress upon families out there is that observe the behaviors, see the noises they're making, see the way they look when that person walks through the door. Are they happy? Are they sad? Are they building that relationship of trust so that we can get and they can get the maximum potential that they have within them? And I wonder if part of navigating, inevitably as an autism parent, you're going to come upon experts who have different ideas and things that you don't feel are uh, the most useful, the best. But I wonder if almost having like building off of what Pat said, almost having something to say, you know, a statement like, uh, you know, that values the person's expertise, but also pulls back on those pillars. Like, I understand that you're the expert in this. And I understand the idea of wanting to prevent Justin from spitting at somebody, but I know Justin so well. And you know what? This kid gets hot all the time and he's sweaty. And I think this could develop a whole other set of issues. So so maybe that's it. Yeah. And you know what? And it's interesting because a few months ago, I heard a very, you know, world renowned, you know, 
director of a school speak. And that was one of the things she said. She said that, you know, she had made recommendations to this family based on the science, based on what she could observe. And the family, the mother said exactly a statement like that. I understand that you are the expert and you have years and years and years under your belt about this. But let me tell you what I see when he does this and why I let him do this. And you know what? She really took that to heart and changed the plan. And so that is exactly right. What we as parents have to do is feel comfortable with creating a statement like that. Yes. that we feel, An actual statement yes, to fall yes, back on. We feel powerful with and is not isolating because, you know, or, you know, having them feel like, oh, there's another crazy autism mom because we see <laughs> that again. That's time that's, and time again. Yeah, and when Pam thing. and I were in school getting our, you know, are doing our classes for our BCBA, you know, you know how many times we had to raise our hands when the students in that class would say, oh, well, those parents, well, those parents, well, yeah. you know, well, we're one of those parents. Let me tell you why. And it's the why that's right. the important piece that often gets missed because when you don't live it, you don't get it. Even if you work it all day, you don't live it. You know? And if you say it, you're actually paving the way for the next person. Yes. If you, it's, it's increasing their learning, their repertoire of what really goes on. I mean, I remember when John first started in his school, which I love, but there's a lot of expectations about what the home life looks like. And at the time I had, you know, two little boys that were three years older than John. On. And I remember saying to them, like, well, me and what army? Because <laughs> it's just me. I can't run all of these programs, cook dinner, help the boys with their homework, get them off to their sporting events. It just, it's just can't happen. So we have to come up with a better way. And you know what? We did. They fit, you know, they had met me in between about how to do this. And I think those are the important pieces to remember to talk to people, feel like you have a voice because they don't have a voice. You must be their voice. Right. And it's interesting because as autism parents, we advocate so much for our children to get the services get into the programs and then you feel like ah oh, I right. did it now I don't but have to worry about it you know, but there's more there's more that you goes along stop advocating once they're there because that's when it doesn't pull you to the level that you expect it to right because it's not all encompassing and it's not centered around what your child needs agreed and I think no matter what you do in life you make choices, you know, the road forks and you go to the left, you go to the right. And sometimes you pick the right path and sometimes you don't. But for me, I feel like if I make a choice and it's not the, you know, the choice doesn't work out. Okay. But if I go along with somebody else's choice, when my gut is, you know, tapping on me saying, no, you have to listen to that inner voice because it is speaking to you for a reason. And that is why you are the mother and you are the advocate for your child. Right. Absolutely. So I, you know, I think next time I'm going to actually, when I, when this happens, because it's going to continue happening. I think I'm going to write out a statement um, instead of just holding it in, holding it in or playing it by ear and trying to not offend and doing it in a way that preserves the, uh, you know, the relationship. Yeah. Because yeah. that's what, what are you saving there? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Do you want to share your story about your friends? Oh, okay. Well, next time, um, this is a a bit of a teaser. We have a uh, special guest next time. And her name is Allison Ziering Walmark. And for people who are in um, 
autism moms or in the autism community, a lot of you may know her uh, because she's a writer and an advocate and she has a son and his name is Ethan. And Allison is the best example to me out there of a parent who followed her gut when it came to her son and disregarded what all of the highly paid experts that she tried so hard to get into uh, to see all of the people told her what to do. And she followed her intuition. She followed her gut and her child is thriving now. And it's an interesting story, but don't want to ruin it by uh, letting you know. But Allison will be joining us next time. Yeah, so she's going to be our next guest on our podcast. And we're very excited to have her and hear about her story and her son and his successes. Yes, absolutely. And Pat had referenced the gentle teaching um, training that we went to. And there was something that I took away from that uh, that really resonated with me. And that was about being present. And I it's the first thing, it's the first bit of feedback I give to people who are with Justin when I feel that they're not present, such as being on their phone or seeming distracted and, you know, stepping in only if he needs help. But also, um, I realize that sometimes I'm so busy setting up and doing things for, you know, getting Justin's food ready and this and that, that I'm not spending as much time being with him. I'm do I have a lot of doing and I'm not at times as present. And I think that sometimes um, when you take a look at it, if you just sort of, you know, pull out a 15, 20 minute time period and you can give yourself feedback about it. Yeah. No, because you think about it, if you were spending time with your typical son, you know, they'd be like, get off your phone. Mommy, I, mommy, yeah. mommy. I remember every time I got on the phone, forget it. My mm -hmm. twins would act out because they wanted my attention. So right. it's really no different just because they're not acting out. We're actually crying them. out, right, crying out for the attention, <laughs> them the attention. So it's a really important point. And you know what? You're not just there to make sure that they're safe. You're there to be engaged. Yes. And, you know, that's the other thing is do not lower those expectations of anyone who is caring for your child in any capacity, a babysitter, a therapist, a teacher, a doctor, whoever it is, you know, they absolutely have to be engaged and present. And feel free if somebody, I know we're so desperate to get help, but if it's, if it's a situation where you feel like you're not getting what you need, it's better to and, you know, find something else that might end up being better, even if you have to have a bit of a hard time in that little, yeah. you know, gap period. Yeah. So, but that was just something else from the gentle teaching. So as always, we love to hear from you and we are planning um, for Autism Awareness Month, April, uh, answering our listeners questions. So we would love if you sent some questions into us. Yes. What questions do you have for us? Doesn't matter what it's about, what realm it's in, but we would love to be able to, you know, offer some support, advice, what draw from our experiences. So please send over some questions to pat at belovedbath.com. And Pat will respond with a special coupon for you for uh, your next purchase from Beloved Bath. So as always, thank you for listening. Thank and you. we are really excited to have Allison on next time. Um, it should be a fun, informative, and enjoyable podcast. Take care. Bye-bye.